<clears throat> Warning, this is not the full English dub release of Bungo Stray Dog's Dead Apple. This is a review of the English dub. If you would like to check out Bungo Stray Dog's Dead Apple and its dub, you can check it out on Funimation and Crunchyroll for legal streaming, as well as pick up the Blu-ray from a retailer. Again, this is not the dub for Boongo Stray Dogs Dead Apple, but rather a review. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day. Oh boy, I gotta clean up the dub talk library again. Uh, there's a lot of weird books in here. How to waifu, uh, how to make your goat sing the Master Keaton opening. What the hell do we even get that? This, oh, that's, that's, that's sticky. How to himbo. Good choice. What to do if you've become a skeleton and like steely day. Okay, this is just getting weird. All right. So I, I guess this is an interesting book. It says as a warning that strong language and situations that may not be suitable for all audiences so reader's discretion is advised also it says it has spoilers for all of boongo stray dogs and boongo stray dogs dead apple so if you would like to be not spoiled go back and watch those before coming to read this and it says finally that the views and opinions expressed in this are not of the dub talk authors as a whole but that of the individual all right so this is cool looks like a is that a tiger boy is is that a bondage what the fuck is going on oh did i just get powers we beneath the moonlight go let's get into this hello one and all and welcome to dub talk summer at the movies 20 21. I forgot what season it is. I don't do the math. Uh, tonight, Jet is my partner in crime or partner in detection. Say hi, Jet. Hello. It's time to talk about a series that I think... I, I've gotten to talk about this franchise before, but you haven't gotten to talk about this franchise before. Um... Uh, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you sadly were not on the, the original episode for this, but it's going to be fun at least for me to kind of come back and revisit this, slash have you actually talk about it for the first time, because I know you and I have opinions about this dub and the company that pays for the dubs in general. Uh, tonight, we are here to talk about Bungo Stray Dogs Dead Apple. I forgot what year it came out because I remember I was at the theater with my Eda bag and everyone was like, holy shit, what a nerd. Um, uh, I'm trying to think chronologically. I think it's like uh, 20, 2018. It came out in 2018. So it's, uh, yeah, I was going to say 2018. Oh 2018. god, this movie is five years old. What the fuck? <laughs> it's a five-year-old movie. <laughs> uh, no, but tonight, yeah, we are here to talk about Fungo Straight Dogs, Dead Apple, the movie for the Bungo Stray Dogs anime, fran anime franchise slash mixed media franchise, I would say at this point, because you would be surprised at how much shit exists just for Bungo Stray Dogs. Um, it is like actually like 
surprised at how much exists for Bungo. Oh yeah, there is a lot now. Yeah, there's the original manga, there is a set of light novels, which there are eight of them. Uh, there's a spin-off manga called Bungo Stray Dogs 1, the anime, and there is a phone game. Uh, not to mention there are multiple spin-off mangas, uh, there are multiple spin-off mangas, and even the, uh, the spin-off manga got its own anime last year, or this year. It, yeah, yeah, the dub aired literally last year. I, let's be, I, <laughs> look, I, I don't remember shit, Jet. Like, we're lucky that I, I remembered yesterday. Okay, I mean, okay, I mean, don't feel bad. I haven't like actually watching it. I've just been like keeping track for. Yeah, I've I've watched I watched the first episode of it. And it's this is a series that surprisingly like I guess allows itself to have a comedy spinoff because let's be real, I don't think Bungo Stray Dogs takes itself seriously a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like we're obviously going to say spoiler alerts. For the uh, first, uh, the the whole series at this point, there's three seasons of it, and they're each like twelve episodes long, so it's only like thirty-six episodes. But like, it's hard to believe that the the first anime came out in in, uh, in twenty sixteen, in spring of twenty sixteen, and I believe it came out in the same season as My Hero and ReZero in that light. I think so. I think so. Boy, that really was a long time ago. Yeah, we're getting old, my dude. But uh, for those of you who have never seen Boon Go Stray Dogs or heard of it, uh, a, a brief synopsis of the whole story is that it focuses on a young man named Atsushi Nakajima who has been kicked out of his orphanage. Um, he accidentally stops the suicide of a man named Osamu Dazai, and because of Dazai, he learns that he has supernatural abilities, uh, that of which turning him into a giant white tiger when the moon is out. Um, Dazai essentially recruits him into what's called the Armed Detective Agency, an uh, agency of other supernaturally gifted beings who kind of go out and, and solve crimes and stuff. They're rivaled by the Port Mafia, which is essentially... Uh, the edgy version of the armed detective agency, as you kind of come to learn. Uh, and it basically takes place in the Japanese city of Yokohama. Uh, the movie specifically, as of the Funimation Blu-ray DVD copy, uh, provided by Funimation and Crunchyroll, goes, uh, The fog is thick and full of shadows. After being shrouded by a mysterious fog, ability users around the world become begin committing suicide, or do they? In a race against time, the armed detective agency must find the man behind the madness before it's too late. Um, so Boonigo Stray Dogs is known for its two quirks. One, everybody is named after a fictional author. Or something to do with a fictional author. The second quirk is that all of the abilities of characters are in fact based off of the author's works and stuff. So Osamu Dazai is power, like, we'll get to all the powers, but essentially, imagine if, like, it's so weird to say that it came out the same season as My Hero. Um, this is basically, this is kind of like My Hero for Fujos. Um, as if My Hero for Fujos, uh, except for My Hero has a huge Fujo following. Uh, really? I don't know. At the time, it kind of seemed more like the 
And I know you're probably going to hate me for this. It seemed more like the spiritual successor to Black Butler. It can't be the spiritual successor to Black Butler. There's not enough shodas. Can Okay, I mean, Wait, there's okay, one. I mean this is there's true. There's Kenji, right? and he's barely in the series. Okay, I mean, this is true. It just felt like it was going for, like, the similar audience of, like, okay, beards and back to Jennifer Fujos. Yeah, true. And I say that in the most loving way possible because I am the exact brand of person that Boonko Stray Dogs was marketed to. And I believe that Studio Bones has realized that there is a no case at point trying to cater to men with this series based on this movie. Um, that being said, this does run in Katakawa's, uh, Katakawa Shoten in Japan, which I believe is a their monthly shonen, shonen magazine or something. Like, I don't know. It, it uh, runs in one of their... their yeah, things. I think so. Yeah, it just runs in one of their things. I don't know. Okay, specifically it runs in, in Young Ace. Uh, specifically, it runs in Young Ace. Which is actually means that this is a seinen, not a shonen. Which makes a lot more ah. sense. Because this runs in the same, this ran in the same, uh, thing as, like, uh, the disappearance of Nagato Yuki, the Kill a Kill manga, um, it's, uh, like, a lot of, the Concrete Revolutio, uh, Drug and Drop, Erased, all the, all that fun stuff. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the movie and its dub, which was provided by our good friends over at Studiopolis. This was a, this was one of the shows that when Crunchyroll and Funimation first announced their kind of partnership that would eventually die um, and fizzle out, uh, this is a show that they, I think they had said that they were going to dub and then it was sat on for a while so no one knew if it was going to be from California or Texas. And then it came out and it was a California dub. And it was being helmed by Studiopolis, which has helmed the entire franchise so far. Uh, mostly under the direction of one Suzanne Goldish. And the particular adaptive writer for this, according to ANN, is Lucian Dodge. Suzanne Goldish you'll know as the director for series such as Boruto Naruto Next Generations, Twin Star Exorcist, and Dino Girl Galco. Lucian Dodge did adaptive writing on series such as Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, as well as Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, Mugen Train, Sailor Moon Stars, and some of Sword Art Online Alicization. So, Jet, how do you feel about the directing and writing of this dub? Uh, yeah, uh, voice direction here was uh, super solid. I've always really liked Suzanne's work on that end. Uh, pretty much everything she's done has been really really good so this is more or less part of the course everyone here was uh, pretty well casted was pretty well casted for the most part and uh, just speaking in general i really kind of like how some of the key members of the cast here kind of get to do stuff a little out of their usual typecast of vocal register and that's something i've kind of liked about the dub for the franchise um and script wise uh, lucian's dub script here is pretty good uh, does a really good job of like sticking to material without being afraid to punch stuff up every now and then with some of the banter. Uh, especially some of the stuff we got between Dazai 2 and the beginning of the movie was kind of fun. I kind of liked a lot of their back and forth. So, uh, yeah, uh, everything here on a technical front is really good. 
And I have to agree, Bungo to me has been the strongest dub that Crunchyroll, I've always said is the strongest dub that Crunchyroll ever, play, ever paid for. With Mob probably coming in at a very close, but not quite their second. Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to say what I've seen of the ReZero dub was really good, so I would probably put that as a second, but yeah. Yeah, there's something about the Bungo dub especially, I think, that just excels in, in the case of its counterpoints. And that is, I think that the cast for this, they're not something, and there are people who will argue with you that the ReZero dub is not very good. Um, that they don't like the writing, they think the adaptive writing, especially for season one, is just very atrocious compared to season two. But for me, the thing that stands out about the Bunga dub is that while there is some character, there are people who are double casted, and in, in one case, one actress is, I think, actually triple cast in this movie. Um, they Everybody feels distinct from each other. Nobody, No two characters sound a lot of like. The writing on this can be really fun. I think I think just in general about the franchise based on because I'm also a manga reader for the franchise. Uh particularly you mentioned Chuya getting to have a lot of fun. I think Chuya is the author's favorite character. Like everybody like the author's favorite character, the direction team at Bones, like Chuya always gets to have like the most fun dialogue, I think, next to Dazai, in my opinion. Um, though there was one part where, like, he says, damn, and I'm like, you should, I'm like, I wish you could have said fuck. Like, yeah. I think it's when he's talking to Ongo, and he's like, you, I, I think at one point he calls him a he, a dumbass or a headass or something. I think he tells him, like, like, Chuyu will say, like, you have your head up your ass, he'll say, he'll curse. Um, I think a lot of, like, just the character's personalities shine in not only the direction that they're given, but I think in Lucian's adaptive writing as well. Because this is a, a franchise with a lot of very quirky characters that are I think typical to action series like this, but at the same time, these are also characters that are a lot more, I think, morally gray in a lot of places, and very much quirky in a, in a sense like the way that Octagawa holds himself as a character and the way he speaks is a lot different from how Atashi carries himself and it's different from like Tanizaki carrying himself or uh, Dr. Yosuno it's a lot of it's such a fun dub to sit and listen to uh, especially as the series evolved and We'll get to certain other actors as we come to them who really elevated their performances uh, throughout the seasons. And then there were some that were, like, very spot on because from the start. Because I know, I believe you and Andrew have both said you prefer the dub to this over the sub, right? Oh, uh, yeah, like I watched the show when it was simulcasted way back when. I had kept up with it for a while, but I was, like, not really a fan of Mavoro Miyano and Dazai, so that kind of put me off to it for a while, so. And, I mean, I like the sub of the show. I think the sub of the show, if you had to sit and ask somebody to give you an all-star Seiyu cast, it's Boongo Stray Dogs. Boongo Stray Dogs has one of the most loaded sub casts in, in the world, I think. And as this dub goes on, the dub for this show has an amazingly star-studded cast, for better or for yeah, worse. I think, um, 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think this does kind of highlight what I think tends to work about Cineopolis does really well when they like fire on all cylinders. Like they can be pretty good about getting a lot of like really high profile actors and then and then compared to like maybe say what Bang Zoom does a lot of the time where like Okay, or, or like usually if you know like okay you have X say you can imagine like which voice actor might end up doing that kind of role because they have like a similar vocal register or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I feel like Cineopolis can sometimes get a little can sometimes get a little more creative with that, like with especially our lead here, like this is definitely like he is definitely not the person you would imagine ever playing with more of a character, but he does it really yeah. well. And I don't think you would have seen a similar thing had this been a bag zoom done. I would definitely say to me, I know we're not talking about this character because he's not in the movie, unfortunately, even though he is probably one of the most entertaining anime antagonists I've ever seen in my life. Um, Chris Hackney as Fitzgerald is still one of my favorite performances out there. And that was the, this was the series that introduced me to Chris Hackney, who, as of the time of this recording, has delivered my favorite dub performance in anything, but it's in a video game. So... And if you know it, if you know me, you know exactly what video game it is. Um, uh, that being said, let's move on to our first set of characters because, uh, for one, when we did, uh, the rest of us did the original series, these two characters were not revealed at the time. And, and two, let's just get this out of the way. There's a love triangle if you squint and you're into, into MLM ships between one of these characters and two of these other characters. Uh, but let's get this out of the way. They are Sonosuke Oda and Ango Sakaguchi. Sonosuke Oda is a was a lower-ranking member of the Port Mafia, uh, based on the author Sonosuke Oda, um, who was essentially never really wanted to be there. He wanted to retire and be an author himself. Uh, and if you watch the first four episodes of season two, you probably wondered, what the fuck is this dude doing here? Uh, like, who the fuck is this asshole? And you later find out that he is the reason that Dazai left the Port Mafia. Uh, his, abil his ability was flawless, which allowed him to predict movement. And basically, if you want to see one of the coolest fights ever, just go to season two and watch Oda fight the guy who runs Mimic. Ango Sashiguchi was actually a member of the Special Task Force, who was basically a mole for the port uh, on the Port Mafia on behalf of the government, and he was one of the three friends that hung out with like Dazai after the bar at Bar Lupin. Uh, I could do a better explanation of this if I had the wiki up with me, but whatever. Uh, you've probably at this point, I'm assuming you're watching this episode because you've watched the show, and that's gonna do a better explanation than I ever have. But Ongo actually does have an ability, and it's called Discourse on Decadence. He can actually see people's memories if he touches them, but I just don't think it's been brought up in the show yet. <gasps> uh, which is really weird, because knowing the plot of this movie, I still don't know how he didn't get caught up in the fog, but whatever, plot holds aside. Uh, Sadesuke Oda is played by David Vincent, and Ongo Sakaguchi is played by Michael Yurchak. Uh, David Vincent, you'll know his characters such as a Barbosa and Magi, The Adventures of Sinbad, Memory Cell in Cells at Work, and everyone's favorite wine-drinking piece of shit, Gilgamesh in Fate Zero. Uh, Michael Jochak, you'll know his characters such as Obito in Naruto Shippuden, the older version, not the younger version. Which one? I was about to say which version. Shut up! We're not doing this again! <laughs> We're not doing this two years <laughs> in a row, Jet! 
<laughs> Listen, he's the one that had the most credits next to his name between anime and video games. So congratulations, we found the true o we found the true Obito. Uh, We're not doing this again. Okay. okay, I mean, okay, I mean, at least he's not the really cursed one. So he's the slightly less cursed. Um, <laughs> he plays Hawkeye in Sailor Moon Super S in Ten Men Uno Mia in Twin Star Exorcist. I I feel like I just walked on and I just like said like I feel like I'm the rev up those friars guy, and like <laughs> <laughs> rev up those Obitos. Get out of here. Uh, anyway, please go ahead. <laughs> Okay, uh, so I can be pretty quick with these two. Uh, David Vincent as uh, Sonoste Oda. I, I liked him in general. I thought he was, like, really a good in season two. He had, like... I mean, David Vincent is always really kind of very good at kind of gruff middle-aged dude, so he was a good fit. And I definitely liked his arc there, but, I mean... But for the purposes of this movie, he doesn't really have a whole ton aside from, like... The original flashback where he told Dazai to join the detective agency, so I thought David's delivery was really good there. Very, very heartfelt. I liked his dynamic with Dazai, so that was cool. I mean, again, uh, to, again, most of everything with his characters in season two, but like for the purposes of the movie, I thought he sounded fine. So and so, and then Michael Yurchik. As Ango, I let's say, um, I, I, I like his voice. It is very like, it's like, and it's definitely very distinct compared to like a lot of you know the usual kind of pretty boy voices you hear in anime. Like this sounds, as I appreciate that his voice just sounds very, as I don't want to say like bookwormish, but I guess it's very like, it's, it's very like okay, this, you can tell this guy is definitely a government suit, and he just has that. He just has that very specific kind of turn to him, and I kind of like it. And, so, and, so, and, I think it's, and I think it's kind of interesting watching him bounce off a lot of the other characters. So I, I thought his... I thought his conflict with Julia in the movie was, like... That was kind of interesting for when it was brought up, and... And, so, and, it's, and I guess how he felt kind of conflicted about his role in, you know... All of Julia's pals getting killed, which was... a thing. Being Chuya Nakahara, being Chuya Nakahara is suffering, by the by. Ah, uh, yeah, this is true. And so, hey, but yeah, I thought his delivery there was kind of good. You can sort, uh, you can sort of feel a little bit of the guilt he had in Michael Stone. And I uh, said, so, and I kind of liked uh, how business-like he sounded, like for the rest of it, and very much how he kind of tried to play it off as doing what he had to do, and I thought that Michael's delivery was really good there. Uh, so, yeah, on the whole, these two were very good, and they didn't really have a whole ton to do with this movie specifically, but I liked them a lot, and they were really good in season two. Yeah, definitely. I I remember when I found out David Vincent was Otisaku in season two, and, like, I wasn't the most sold on him as as everyone's favorite wine-thinking wine -thrinking thought Gilgamesh at times. I will think of every funny... Oh, trust me, I cannot wait for the Babylonia episode where I will find every way to make call Gil a slut. Um, I don't feel bad. I didn't like his look best for a long time either. Yeah, but he really got me as Otisaku. And and honestly, like, 
let's be real, those first, like, four or five-ish episodes of season two of Boongo are some of, like, the best acting in an, in an anime dub I've heard. And just be, it's a really good arc, and I will fight anybody who says, oh, this is a bad way to start season two. I could go on a dissertation about how that arc is actually really, 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 really important for the series, because it sets up the biggest through line that starts running through Boongo, which is, like, I love, this is the reason I also love this series, is that a lot of Boongo is about, uh, can people who have done awful things get redemption? And do they deserve it? And a lot of the times, characters have to confront that. And some of the characters are actively going through that arc, as we will talk about. Uh, and Sonosuke Oda is really the biggest character that kicks this off. And even in the movie, you can very much tell what his character is about. Because the first thing you see him do is pick up and confront and, and comfort a crying child whose parents have just been killed. Meanwhile, this guy works for the port fucking mafia. The quote unquote bad guys. I have to put it in air quotes because after season one, it's debatable on if they are actually evil or not. Um, they're basically the dark, they're the night mode of the, the armed detective agency and we can get into that later. Uh, but I've always really liked David Vincent's performance as Oda. It, it really does capture a lot of emotionality and heart in it. And you can also tell that, like, even in the little bits of this movie that are there, because they really did clip show his death into this movie, <laughs> um, that you can tell that he does care about Dazai and you can get that through David's performance. Ongo is always the character. Uh, Michael Yurchak's performance has always just been, like, He's the person I've always had a little bit of issue with. Not that it's a bad performance, but I sometimes I'm like, is this your actual voice or are you doing a really nerdy office guy voice? And I, but the thing is that it works because Ango very much is the government stiff type guy. Like he's the dude in your group of friends who is clearly there to be the brains of the operation. Because frankly, let's be real, Dazai has one mode and that mode is chaos. Um... And, I, and, and again, I think he does a great job in this movie. I really like when he does have his conversations with Chuya. Especially he's like, get... And when he's talking about uh, the aftermath of the movie. <laughs> which... <laughs> his subordinate's talking to him. And he basically... Uh, and the dialogue in the movie can be summed up in that moment as... None of us know have, have any idea what happened. If you ask me to actually explain the plot of what's going on, we will be here for hours. And just the way that he speaks works in that scene because the next shot is his assistant falling asleep to him talking about it. <laughs> um, she falls asleep at her desk and you can just kind of hear like, I, I don't sound that boring, do I? But then again, Ango looks like the anime version of one of the fairy, one of the, uh, the pixies from Fairly Odd Parents. You can't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, so, there's that. Uh, next up, Every good armed detective agency and mafia need to have leaders. And frankly, they're here just because they kind of, out of all the members of their unit, uh, get a little bit more screen time and they are a bit more plot relevant for the, the final stakes of this. They are Yukichi Fukuzawa and Ogai Mori. Yukichi Fukuzawa is the leader of the armed detective agency whose power is all men are equal. They, he essentially 
doesn't nullify powers, but he helps other with others with powers they can't control being able to control themselves. Uh, Ogai Mori is the leader of the Port Mafia, uh, and very true to his historical counterpart, who was an actual surgeon in the army. Uh, Ogai Mori was once a doctor who basically killed and schemed his way up to the top. Uh, and his, uh, his ability is Vita Sexualis, who, uh, if you don't know, is actually the reason why that little girl follows him around all the time. She is his power. Uh, it is also very much an in-series joke that Ogai Mori is a lollycon and they dunk on him constantly for it. Uh, As they should. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite like actual moments in the series is... I need to get this character's name because she is... She's the other character besides Dr. Yosuno that I have a massive crush on. Um... Uh, Ozaki, who's played by Cindy Robinson. Um, essentially, essentially, she is kind of like Kyoka, Kyoka's mom, <laughs> but not her mom. She's actually Chuya's mom. <laughs> she's, she's canonically basically Chuya's mom in the Port Mafia. And at one point, I think they talk about, like, Mog Mori coming on to a girl and in... She, she threatens to stab him for being a, a lollycon, and it's kind of great. Uh, but we're not yeah. talking about her. She's not in this movie at all, and that sucks. Um, playing Fukuzawa is Jameson Price, and playing Mori is Keith Silverstein. Uh, the second person to play uh, in a Mori besides uh, Mr. Christopher Wakeamp. And if I had a nickel for every time, I've had to explain that Ozai Mori... And Osama Dazai are not the same person. I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Um, uh, Jameson Price will know as Ryder in Fate Zero, Duke Ride in Metropolis, and uh, just to drive the dagger into the heart that we will never get a Digimon series as good as Tamers ever again, Jan Yu Wong in Digimon Tamers. Uh, Keith Silverstein will know as characters such as N in Dora Hedoro caster of red slash William Shakespeare in Fate Apocrypha and Hisoka in Hunter x Hunter because as of the day we're recording this this is Gigi's birthday and I'd be remiss not to uh, officially talk about her best boy in five seconds I mean it is appropriate when you brought up that board with a little <laughs> Oh, guy Mori and Hisoka shake hands being perverts for small children and shown in battle situations uh I know, I'm going to hell, and I'm taking you with me. Kyoka, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyoka, okay, Kyoka yeah. looks like, looks at, looks at Gon and goes, and just mouths run. <laughs> uh, okay, so I can be pretty quick with these two, because again, for the purposes of the movie, they do have a decent amount of screen time, but aren't like... Super prominent. Uh, so, like in so, like in general, the boss man here, Fukuzawa, is kind of the if you got a character gives and Price excels that very well. Uh, he uh, he has like a very kind of authoritative tone to his voice in general, and he's always kind of good with those sort of characters. So, 
Uh, he carries that really well here. He very much sounds like he's in charge. You can tell why everyone follows him. As I, and there's just this natural confidence to his tone that just kind of makes him seem really cool whenever he's on screen. As I, I definitely did like his whole little dynamic with Mori when they, when they briefly ran into each other and ended up switching partners for their fight. As I, I thought that the natural confidence they had throughout that whole scene was like really cool and that was a lot of fun. And then uh, keeps overside is Mori. I mean. Well, at this point, you basically can't have a Kali double of any kind without Keith Silverstein being in there somewhere. And, uh, yeah, this is definitely the kind of thing Keith Silverstein really sells at. He's very, yeah, he's very good at, like, heavy and theatrical villains, and that's kind of what Mori is to a T, so... You can tell Keith Silverstein is having a lot of fun here. Yeah, he's, uh, uh, he sounds pretty dramatic over the top in everything he does. So again, that makes his like brief interactions with Fukuzawa here a lot of fun. As I, as I, and, I, and I think and I think get like a little briefcase out of the bit where he's uh, where he's arguing with his own power, but Gary Carradine over there. Oh yeah, Gary Carradine, one of her <laughs> like three characters I think she plays in this, in this show. <laughs> yeah, because she's she's Elise. She's um. She's Ichio, the girl that uh, is Octagawa's. She is Octagawa's uh, subordinate. Uh, she's Ichio, and she is. Uh, she's definitely Elise. I know that she's Elise, and Elise is. Elise. Elise is such a fun character in the actual show, because I just need you to imagine that this forty-something-year-old man, who literally is like an actual serial killer-grade doctor gets his ass pulled around by a tiny girl. And it's just really funny. <laughs> and and, and, and it's all kind of like very much here too. That where she's like, oh, how dare you do this to me? And it was, it was kind of amusing. Okay. She is also the girl at the end of the movie that falls asleep to Ango. That's an ass. I, yeah, she, I think she's also that she, yeah, she, I, yeah, that definitely was scary to like, so when that character appeared on screen at first, I got confused and thought it was the girl who hangs around out the go all the time. It's like, no. no. And I was like, okay. Yeah, no, I was like, oh, wait, no, she doesn't have glasses. Yeah, no. <laughs> also, technically, technically, because the fog took in only people with abilities, uh, she wouldn't have been taken in because uh, Ichia doesn't have powers. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, she doesn't have powers. Gin doesn't have powers. Spoiler alert. Technically, Rompo doesn't. That's why he's literally got the safe and he sat there the whole time. That's why Rompo is. Uh, that that's why Rompo is sir not featured in this movie. Uh, yeah. Rompo doesn't. Yeah, but yeah, but Rompo's power is just bullshitting. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, but yeah, basically done. These two were very good. James and Bryce and Keep Super Two. They're basically always good at what they do. Yeah, they get a lot of fun stuff in season three. The two of them. They have the whole the whole mm. bullshit in season three with them. Uh, Keith, uh, Jameson's the character. This is like a Jameson Price character. Like you look at this man, you're like, "Yep, that's Jameson Price." Um, I don't have a lot to technically say a ton about his performance, but he it's like you said, he does very much command the room. Uh, he is very very big. Uh, but to me, Keith Silverstein's Mori has always been like one of my favorite little performances in this show because it is so entertainingly slimy. Like, 
this dude is bad news, but he's so charming about it that you are like, you're awful, but you're fun. Like, I love when they, they fight back to back with each other and, and they end up killing the other one's powers and just the tone of his voice says, what a, like, the whole, like, what a brute who, who would slash a girl in half. And it's just like, you just pulled a gun out of your, like, sleeve, my dude. Don't act like you're innocent. And then there's the whole scene at the end with him and Chuya, where he's, like, sitting there with his wine going, Yep, I had this plan the entire time, all according to Kekaku. Uh, so Keith's, Keith's always just really fun as Mori. And I wish that Mori showed up more in the franchise, not because he's a good person, but because he's a fun character. And I think that Keith kind of chews the scenery with him when he's got him. Unless he's got to be, like, deadly serious, and then it turns on a hat, but there we go. So let's move on to the next uh, set of kind of big characters in this. And I, I didn't know how to really place these two, because I wanted to talk about one of them, and then the other one's, like, kind of in the movie more and is in the final fight. But I feel like because they're part of the same group, I wanted to put them together. That being uh, Dofo Kunikita and Kyoko Izumi. Uh, Kunikita is essentially, as, as Dasai says in the end of the movie, the mom of the armed detective agency. Much to Dopa, much to Kunikita's anger. He is a very strict and principled man who lives life by his notebook. His power is Dopo Poet, which is he can make any item he wants as long as it's smaller than his notebook. To which I, I love this franchise and it's power limiting so fucking much. Like, there's another character whose ability is he can make a bomb, but it has to be in the shape of a lemon. Ah, that's great. And of course, Dr. Yosuno, thou shall not die. I can heal you, but I'm gonna have to half kill you first. Which leads to a lot of really fun moments. Um, those two sir, are not appearing in this movie. Okay, well, Yosuno is, but Bomb Guy is not. He's in the opening, and that's it. They don't even name him. Uh, Kyoki Izumi is a really interesting character in the franchise. She is a former member of the Port Mafia who is being controlled by Octagawa, whose ability is Demon Snow to create... It's a giant, basically, big ghost thing that slashes people and is controlled by the cell phone on her neck. Uh, but as you, you kind of learn in this movie and as the series go on, that cell phone on her neck is more important than just controlling Demon Snow. Uh, Kurikita is played by Patrick Seitz, and Izumi is played by Sheremy Lee. Patrick Seitz uh, doesn't need much of an introduction, but for those of you who don't know him, he is Pippin in the Berserk the Golden Age French the Golden Age uh, trilogy. He is Kairu Shishigo in Fate Apocrypha, and JP in Redline. Sheremy Lee will know a character such as Biamon in the Digimon Adventure Tri films, uh, Dohan Hirasaka in K Missing Kings, and Makoto Nijima in Persona 5, the animation. Okay, uh, so I can be pretty quick with Dopo here, since, again, he's not that prominent in the movie. As I, uh, I, I like Patrick Sides Dopo in general. It's a lot of fun. I, uh, he definitely he generally sounds like he has a stick up his butt all the time, and Patrick just exudes that kind of energy really well, where... 
like you were saying, he does very much sound with the mom of the group, like, like, uh, like he's very much trying to stay in charge of all these crazy children, but they just, but they just keep running off on their own, and he is clearly very frustrated and tired all the time, and Patrick really gets out across in his performance, like, even here in the movie, like, like in the beginning where he's trying to get everyone together for a meeting, and then he shows up without Dazai, and he wonders where Dazai is, and when he's like, oh, well, Dazai went off to, you know, find another way to commit suicide again, and Dazai, <laughs> and Dopo just loses his trip. So he's just like, just fuck this! And it's great. Uh, yeah, but, so, yeah, but, yeah, he's always a lot of fun, and then, at the same time, he also, you know, has a... He's, even though he is very certain, he is also very protective of the other members, and you can see that here in the movie, too. It's like where, when everything goes bad in the beginning, he's, his first thought is to make sure Atatsi and Kyoka get out okay, and I thought that was very sweet. Uh, but yeah, General Patrick Side Stopo is a lot of fun, and, he, and I definitely like a lot of material he gets in the show proper. Uh, Jeremy Lee as Kyoka yeah, gets to do a lot of this movie, actually. Yeah, in general, I've always thought it was kind of interesting that while this is, like, far from Jeremy's first time playing a young girl, that and that's like, and that for Kirka specifically, she has, like, a kind of list she gives her to make her sound more childlike, and I thought it kind of did a lot to make her sound a little more distinct from some of other, from some of Jeremy's other roles, which is kind of neat. Uh, in general, I think she does a really good job of making Kirka come off as very stoic and aloof, but... At the same time, it's kind of clear she cares about the others, and especially Atsuchi, and she doesn't want to look out for him. As an aside, I know that Atsuchi's instructment is kind of small and all, but it is very messed up that he's sleeping in the closet while she took the entire room. It's not It's not that he. she put him in there. I think he put it in there because she's literally 14. Ah, uh, this is true. Ah, uh, this is true. Yeah, he's... So, you know, I mean... Like, if you, if you don't... If you just kind of tune out to, like, the intro credits of the movie... Uh, or, and I've had this discussion with people before. It actually gives you all of their names. Atashi is 18. And he's very oh, much yeah, the type of guy that. who would stick himself in the closet so that the girl yeah, would feel like he would be that. He would be that guy. Yeah, he definitely, yeah, he definitely would be. But say, and, 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 and it also is truly really weird that she was the one driving. <laughs> I guess this is one of the things where it's like, it's anime, you don't question it, but even so. <laughs> I mean, I think the justification was is that she was an assassin. She used but to be a so, Okay, but even, so, <laughs> but even so, it's like, if he's 18, he probably has a driver's license. Why is he the one driving? At that point, they were alone <laughs> and in, like, a separate dimension. <laughs> But, I agree, why are we letting the 14-year-old drive the car? I mean, like, I feel like if Dopo had come, Dopo would have made her sit in the back seat. And he would have drive driven the car. But let's be real, as much as I love Atashi, he's not very smart. <laughs> nah, this is true. Kyoka's, like, got enough self-preservation to know how to drive Get in, I'm a, hand, I'm a trained driver. You're 14! <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, trying to uh, be serious for a second. I definitely did like how Jeremy handled Kyoko's conflict in the movie, like over how she feels about her powers and what they did to her mom. 
Is there any, and you can tell the Jeremy soon that this is something that Cube has had to think about for a long time, and as you know, we got him sound very meditative about that, and I thought that was very interesting. And the idea that he, like, ultimately doesn't resent your powers because he can use them to help others now felt like it tied in pretty well to the whole reason why he joined the agency in the first place, and I thought that Jeremy got that across pretty well. And I liked that he got to have, like, a pretty big role in the final battle. That was pretty neat. So, yeah, both of these, these two were very good. Jeremy especially got a lot to do here, which was a lot of fun. Definitely. Uh, I will say, I would definitely suggest that if you really liked Kyoka's character in this and haven't gotten around to season three, episode six of season three, which is episode 31 overall, uh, does actually go into how her parents died. Um... And it's it's just a really good episode, and Sheremy's performance in it is is top notch. Sheremy uh, also plays Kyoka's mom in that scene as well because triple casting, uh, which is a big thing about CR dubs, and I could spend days on that. But uh, I think for me, the thing that really works about Sheremy's performance is what you said is that it does sound she's played a lot of young teenage girls. But this sounds very young and very vulnerable. And I think a lot of it is that Kyoka's natural progression in the show is some of the best parts about it. She, she starts off as basically kind of not an emotional doll, but a very having to pend up her emotions because she sees herself as a monster because of what she's been forced to do. And I think that that apprehension in her voice does travel through to what's going on now because she's now got the the chance to fight her own powers and she's also got to confront with the fact that um, both Octashi and Octagawa have their own expectations of how she handles her as a per- herself as a person and I think that for a 14 year old girl that's had to force herself to grow up too fast because she's been forced to kill and she's in this line of work at a young age that uh, Sheremy has this level of restrained maturity to her voice where it does sound a lot like a kid forced to grow up too fast and when she does have that moment of Eureka it, it is really good uh, that being said I also like a lot of the little comedy moments they try with her and this isn't a vocal one. This one goes to the animation team. There's a part at the end of the movie where uh, Atashi, Dazai, and her are standing together after the final battle. And and Dazai asks Atashi, does he think he's a virtuous person? Or do I look like a person who's full of virtue? And Atashi, without hesitation, just says yes. And the look on Kyoka's face in the background is like, what the fuck, dude? Because Dazai is the least virtuous person on the planet. Uh, Patrick's Kunikita has always been really fun for me. I think when the cast list for this first dropped, uh, for the franchise overall, Patrick being Kunikita was was pretty much the most obvious casting choice. Like, that was was like, yeah, yeah. But he nails it. He's a very uptight, virtuous dude with a stick up his ass at the age of 23. Um, and he's trying his best, but listen, if you had to deal with Dazai on a day-to-day basis, you'd pull out your hair too. And I think that he does capture the very, like, on-the-nose, businessy aspect of having to be Dopo Kunikita. 
Uh, but he also gets this very dry sense of humor across because one of the best lines in the entirety of the movie, let alone the franchise, is that um, he talks about how his power can make a weapon, but it's nothing that's, that has to be smaller than a notebook. So he he smacks a part on the wall and it flips to reveal a full artillery of, of guns. And Akshi just goes, where did we even get all that? And with the straightest voice just goes, well, we are the armed detective agency. <laughs> and he hands him a pistol and he leave, and, and they leave. Um, so I, I genuinely have always liked Patrick in this franchise. So uh, let's move over to the main villains of the movie. One, Mr. Fyodor Dostoevsky and Tatsuhiko Shibasawa. Tatsuhiko Shibasawa is a man with a power called Draconia, which enables him to create a mist around and eventually cause uh, the gifted to uh, kill themselves, quote-unquote. But he's making his powers go against him. Uh, you turn out, you, you come to find out that the Tatsuhiko Shibasawa that they are fighting is actually the remains of his power living on as his physical body has died. Um, and he died chasing a power that could surpass all other powers, that being Otoshi's power. Dostoevsky is the definition of, and then there's this asshole. Dostoevsky's power is crime and punishment. What does it do? We don't know. It won't. Ex the series refuses to explain how it works, other than it kills people. Um, he is the leader of a house uh, of a group called the House of the Dead, uh, and he is essentially the end. There's this asshole of the franchise. It's really hard to explain what Dostoevsky's motivation is because I don't think As I, the series doesn't want yeah. to. Yeah, at this point, it's just like, okay, he's our main bad guy. That's kind of all we really need to know. Yeah, he's just here. He's just here to have a good time. And by have a good time, I mean and, inflict pain on others. Yeah, in general, I was very surprised he showed up in this movie at all. But it's like, of course he's here. Yeah, this is his first introduction, <laughs> technically, in the anime. This is his introduction because this movie takes place between seasons two and season three. Uh, so, playing Tatsuhiko Subasawa is Xander Mobis. And playing uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky is Ray Chase. Xander Mobis, you'll know his characters such as Romani Ackerman in Fate Grand Order, Absolute Demonic Front Babylonia, Fallon in Sirius the Jaeger, and Juzo Shima in Blue Exorcist Kyoto Saga. Ray Chase, you'll know as the subway announcer from Persona 5. <laughs> the Lancer of Black in Fate Apocrypha, uh, everyone's favorite anime mob, Bruno Bucciarati in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind, and Hank in To Abandon the Sacred Beasts. Uh, because, frankly, like Crunchyroll, we all need to be reminded that that existed. Got a dub. As I, as I, I mean, yep, I watched that show. It was, it was pretty alright. Yeah, that was one of the first shows when Crunchyroll really started to dub on their own that they, they did for some reason. That's like, yeah, that show in general was kind of weird. It was like, hey, what if X-Men took place during the Civil War? <laughs> if you thought the X-Men were persecuted in the modern day... Uh, 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 
Yeah, I'll never get over. I'll never get over the fact that it. I'll never get over the fact that the main character that was named Hank did it. He's just like his transformation literally looks like Beast. It does. Uh, somebody knew what I, they were doing there. Uh, I I was just like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, uh, so that could be pretty quick with uh, Fyodor here. It's like, uh, yeah, this was a pretty uh, interesting role with Rage Haze. I mean, he's pretty. I mean, he's had his fair share of villain roles before, and he's pretty good at them. Uh, this is definitely the only one of his I've heard with a Russian accent, but to his credit, he does the Russian accent pretty well. It's not. It's not it's, I mean, it is. I mean, it is obviously you know a cartoony Russian accent, but it's not. Okay, but it's not so over the top that it's like super distracting, and it definitely doesn't take away from his performance in any way. So, so I think it, so. I think it so works. So fun fact really. about that. Uh, we interviewed him at Anime NYC in 2019, and there's a showing our own video. So I asked him about that, and apparently they had actually recorded him not doing the accent. And then one with him doing it, and they chose the one with him doing it. Yeah, I think that probably was a smart choice. I mean, it could definitely work without the accent, but I think it definitely is like, a little bit more fun with it. Mm-hmm. I was like, eh, but yeah, but yeah, for the purposes of this movie, I, I, I did like how much you know he was just kind of like scheming and weaving in the background. And so, and he was a lot of fun. It definitely was kind of hard to get a read on exactly what his goal here was, and I don't think we ever really quite knew. I guess he was just kind of here to stir up things because that's basically all he ever does. Uh, but Ray uh, but Ray Chase definitely sounded like he was having a lot of fun here and he the, the editor did a good job of making Fyodor here sound, you know, very delightfully twisted and mysterious throughout the whole thing. Okay, and I, and I sort of I know I both appreciate and kinda hate the fact that like they the fact that they remember the fact that oh his power never betrayed him because like reasons. So it's something about like oh crime and punishment are the same, so like his powers would never betray him. It's like okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> it's like insert like should I insert the Jono Giovanna meme here? <laughs> I Giorno Giovanna have a dream. No, 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 it's not even that one. It's the it's the it's bull, but I believe it. Yeah, the literally like I I I genuinely enjoy that this movie lampshades how bullshit it is in the ending credits, where Anga's like it could take weeks to t discover what the fuck all this was about. Like, <sighs> shut up and enjoy the shut up enjoy the pretty action scenes, you dumbass. It's basically yeah. the plot of this movie. Mm. Uh, and then Xander uh, Mobius is uh, Shibasawa. Uh, he had, like, a pretty decent air of mystery to him, and I thought Xander got that across pretty well in his performance. Uh, Xander, in general, is, uh, pretty good at these kinds of villain roles, so... And it's a pretty solid casting choice. Uh, the whole thing with him being bored with the world because... Everyone and everything seems predictable and all that... Interesting of a motivation, but I thought that Xander did a pretty good job of making him sound like... Uh, he was, he thought he was above it all and kind of detached from everyone else. And I thought that made, like, a whole dynamic with Dazai here pretty interesting, where he thought, 
the site where he thought that he would die was predictable, but you know, it's Dazai, of course you can't predict Dazai. Uh, I mean, in general, he felt a little boring for what was basically a Shonen Jump movie antagonist, but at the same time, it's a Shonen Jump movie antagonist, and they're usually not that interesting anyway. It's like, eh, but I mean, the whole twist of him having tortured out to see the king was probably the most shocking swerve in the movie. Well, that and the whole thing of, with him being dead, dead all along, those were the two things that kind of... Got my attention with this character, but otherwise he was just kind of like, Hey, here's our villain for the movie, and Xander did a pretty good job with him. And he was perfectly fine. And, yeah, in general, these two were very solid performances. Yeah, for me, definitely. I think that Ray's Dazai... Sorry, Ray's not Dazai. Bit. You said, you said... Da nobody can predict Daisai, and all I'm thinking is the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia wild card, bitches! Um, mm. Ray's Doskayeski, which I'm never going to be able to pronounce his first name. Just get off my dick, Russian fans. Um, to me... I don't, I don't know, it's really like they always pronounce it Fyodor. Fyodor, Fyodor, Fyodor. I think it's just more fun to call him Dostoevsky, because it's just more fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> Dostoevsky! Uh, I think the thing that I like about him is that he is such a smarmy asshole while having the Russian accent. Um, mm. And I, I definitely agree that they should have kept the accent because here's the thing. All of the Japanese characters are not speaking without an accent and all the American characters aren't speaking without an accent. But all the other Europeans have an accent because technically Agatha Christie does threaten to burn down Yokohama. Um, oh, yeah, she was here for ten seconds. Hey, Agatha! You'll, you'll be plot relevant in the manga one day. Also, hi, Erica Lindbeck's third character. Um, <sighs> yeah, that's Erica Lindbeck as, as just Ongo, ring, ring. Hello, this is the British. We're going to scorch Earth everything. Um, fix your Russian, fix your Russian problem. Um, I think Ray's, Ray's, uh, Dostoevsky's also, one of the most charmingly fun performances in the whole franchise. I think that he, he has this level of wit and cunning in his voice with the right amount of slimy asshole who... He's the manipulate mansplain of the trilogy, of the triangle. Because at one point, him and his own power are like, We are crime and punishment! Uh... So, I've always really liked Jay Ray's Dostoevsky. I think he's a ton of fun. Uh, Xander as Shibasawa is, is really weird because Xander Mobus' range is terrifying. Um, Xander Mobus' range scares me because I don't think at the time I had heard this for the first time I'd ever heard Xander Mobius go that deep. Uh, also, B, I was mostly really unfamiliar with him because the only thing I knew him as was the grunting, mumbling Persona 5 protagonist and the Smash. He's, is he the Smash menu announcer, too? Uh, yes, he is. Okay, that's what I knew him S as. Settle it. Yeah, Settle it and Smash is him. Yeah. <laughs> settle it and Smash slash Master Hand, all that fun junk. Uh, so I think he was, I think he was pretty good in this. Uh, is Shibasawa kind of a nothing villain? Yeah. Uh, he only kind of really exists to further Atashi's character development. Okay. Um, 
I do think he's overshadowed by some of the other performances in this, but it's no way a bad performance. He, need, he When he sounds threatening, he has to be threatening. Uh, this movie does have somebody turning into a dragon actually be cool for fucking once. Um, mm. But that's all I really have to say about him. All right, let's get to the real meat and potatoes of this episode. Let's talk about everyone's favorite couple of exes. Chuya Nakahara and Osama Dazai. Mm. Chiyu Nakahara is one of the Port Mafia's uh, generals. He is a short, angry little bitch um, whose power is for upon the tainted sorrow, which lets him manipulate gravity. Uh, he also has a corrupted form, which lets him do it more at the cost of not being able to stop himself. The only person who can't, the only thing that can stop him besides death. Osamu Tazai, whose power is no longer human, the ability to nullify all other powers. Osamu Tazai is essentially a smarmy wild card with a dark path, whose essentially character arc can be defined as can a murderous, pretentious asshole find redemption? And the answer is probably. Uh, but in all seriousness, Osama Dazai is actually genuinely one of the most captivating characters in the series, let alone the franchise, and his mystery and motivations and just wildcard nature make him some of the most fun to watch. Uh, Chia Nakahara is played by Nicholas Roy, and Osama Dazai is played by Keiji Tang. Nicholas Roy will know his characters such as Masato Sonata in High School Prodigies Have It Easy in Another World, Hearts in Tower of God, and Yamato Matt Ishida in Digimon Last Evolution Kizuna. Keiji Tang will know his characters such as Art and Archer in Fate Unlimited Blade Works, Oma Tokita and Kengen Hashira, and of course... Dazai's white-haired cousin, Satoru Gojo in Jujutsu Kaisen. If I... Uh, AKA the teacher everyone is horny for. <laughs> Hot for Teacher by Van Halen has a new has a new target. <laughs> like, let's be uh, real. Gojo and Dazai look at each other, give, give the finger guns, and go off to troll their student. Ah, uh, this is very, uh, this is very true. Like... <laughs> If I didn't put Satoru Gojo in characters that KG Tang has played, I could have. I was just like, people are gonna say something in the comments. <laughs> like you're going uh, to say is... something to me. Uh, I mean, he is clearly he is clearly having a lot of fun with that character. I think I think between Satoru and Dazai, they are the two most fun that KG has with people. Mm. Okay. Um... So getting into this, starting with uh, Nicholas Roy's Chuya. Um, so for me, the first thing I ever heard Nicholas Roy in, in general was as Mikey in Digimon Fusion. I was gonna so put that too, and so I was like, then I was like, oh, let me bring up the better Digimon. <laughs> uh, so I mean, okay, I mean, Fusion, I mean, Fusion, I mean, Fusion is pretty good, and I mean, well, as for well. Okay, well, it is okay. I mean, it is kind of ironic where he was casted in Lots of Evolution. <laughs> Considered, <laughs> uh, but well, but we won't get into that here. Can't hear. I just shrugged. I was just like, eh. <laughs> Is it, okay, I mean, okay, I mean, if you know why, you you know why. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so, but anyway, since uh, the first thing I had ever heard him in, in was Mikey Digimon Fusion, 
Uh, the fact that you sound like a deeper and raspier version of him always kind of made me wonder what would happen if this is if this is what would happen if Mikey grew up to join the mafia, which is a very odd thought, but yeah. Uh, but in general, I think he does a really good job of making Julia sound very grumpy and angry about basically everything, but mostly happy to put up with Dazai all the time. And he has some, and he has some great chemistry with Dazai's actor, and he really bounces off pretty well with a lot of their banter. As 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 the beginning of the movie, they still have a lot of fun interactions. And I thought his whole like conflict with Sakaguchi was again kind of interesting. Since I forgot those two weren't actually acquaintances for some reason, I misremembered things and thought they like interacted in the flashbacks, but they didn't really. Um, so, um, so um, since they weren't, uh, while it was only based on status quo, was obviously going to prevail here because again, this is basically just a Shonen Jump movie. Um, I thought there, I thought there was a pretty good amount of tension as to whether or not Julia was going to take revenge for his friends, and I thought the Nicholas did a pretty good job of making a lot of Julia's. Uh, seeming frustration feel pretty believable, and uh, in general, he's just very good at making Julia sound like a very angry boy. It's good. And, uh, Keiji Tag as Osamu Dazai. Uh, so, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I was not really a big fan of Amaro Miyata's performance in Japanese. Uh, he just sounded like a little too cartoony to me, and it kind of got a grading after a while, so... I kind of prefer Katie Tang's take a lot more. I think it does a really good job switching between Dazai's like very outwardly playful and whimsical attitude, and then all the deviousness he has hiding beneath the surface. Uh, the whole is Dazai going to betray the agency thing felt like a kind of lame excuse and sideline in for most of the plot. Considering since again, this has all these things to be non-canon change-up movies, so you know status quo is obviously going to prevail here. But I, did, but I did appreciate that the idea of him going through a whole bunch of weird hoops to enact his own plan felt very in character. Right that's uh, right down to the idea that he somehow planned for Chuya punching him in order to give him the pill that would save yep. his life. It's like, that is definitely a very Dazai thing. Dazai, Dazai is several steps ahead, even though you don't want him to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I definitely appreciate that Kate did a very good job of making it clear that Dazai was scheming something even if we didn't know the very, the full scope of Zen's scheme until the last minute. It was a lot of fun. And like I said before, uh, he had some really great back and forth with Julia throughout the movie, and he and Nicholas Roy bounce off each other really well. They're fun. So for me, I think that Nicholas Roy has always been the, the unsung hero of the Boonko Stray Dog stub. Because this was the first anime I ever heard of it. Um, his performance as Chuya has always been delightfully entertaining and just very dramatic and on point. Because, let's face it, Chuya Nakahara runs not on food, water, photosynthesis. He runs on spite. He is the most spiteful little asshole to the point where one of my favorite, favorite interactions of the entire franchise is in season two, right before Chuya has to fight Cthulhu. Yes, that is a thing that happened. Is that he and Dazai are walking up to the fight and Chuya goes, the night that you left the Port Mafia, 
I opened up my vintage wine and celebrated. And that's <laughs> their entire dynamic. Spiteful exes. Because face it, Chuya's also Dazai's sloppy seconds. Ah, this is um, true. So, Nicholas's performance has the, the right level of absolute earnest, absolute spite, and absolute balls-to-the-wall shonen screaming. Because the corrupted form screeches like a banshee. <laughs> and it's great. And for me, Keiji Tang's Dazai is just one of my favorite performances in, in all of anime. It is the right level of funny, comedic timing, smarmy, but also just very genuine when it needs to be. Because Dazai is just genuine when he needs to be, but in a lot of times he's also somebody that works in mystery because he is an enigmatic person who 100% doesn't even know if he deserves the kindness that he gets. Um, and he, and I know a lot of people, if you've seen the series and got turned off by it, uh, he does make a lot of suicide jokes, but that is because in, in, in reality, the real Osama Dazai did kill himself. Um, Dazai, to me, works in this movie because not only is he funny, He's also trying to play every side, and he's got, like, seven spaces in chess figured out ahead of you. And I really love the idea that him and- <laughs> him and Chuya have the most straightforward conversation about Dazai being Snow White. Because he bit the poison apple, and then he got his wake-up kiss by getting a punch to the face. Ah, it was really beautiful. True love. And then there's the scene right after where the Bones animators had them having a serious conversation about having to lie low and let the true final fighters come in as Dazai's face, as Chuya's face is at Dazai's crotch level. Uh. Thank you, Studio Bones. But overall, I really, I really do think that if if for any reason you've never checked out the Boon Goes Straight On stuff, these two are the actors I would definitely say you need to check it out for. Because their performances are some of the most interesting throughout the show, and especially Keiji's Dazai. Keiji's Dazai gets to, to kind of run the entire gambit of emotions, and you get to see him do it in this movie, but the series gets time to, the, the actual series proper gets to amplify that because it takes its time doing so. Obviously, in a movie, you could have him run all these emotions, but it's still going to be in 90 minutes. Uh, so, speaking of that, let's get to our final two characters, who are our main character and his main rival. We have one Mr. Ryanosuke Octagawa and one Mr. Atsushi Nakajima. Ryanosuke Octagawa is a general of the Port Mafia who is known to be a vicious killer. In truth, uh, he got his start at the Port Mafia because when he was a child whose friends had been attacked and killed by the Port Mafia, it was, uh, it was Dazai who opened his hand and took him in and basically abused him into the monster that he became. Um, his power is Rashomon, the ability to take his 
a shadow-like ability, put it in his cloak, and slash and hack and all that fun junk. Um, Atsushi Nakajima is our overall main character, Gungo Stray Dogs. He is a skittish, kind of erotic 18-year-old guy who's been thrown out of the orphanage for allegedly being a nuisance. When in all truth, they threw him out because he would become a vicious tiger that would destroy their crops and night outside of his control. After being taken in by the armed detective agency, he is kind of on the path to becoming a not only a stronger person, but a better person. And his ability is again beefed beneath the moonlight, which lets him turn into a giant tiger slash shapeshift and also gives him a healing ability. The, the overall actual reason for why he's important to the plot is that he can bring them to the, the magical MacGuffin of Bungo, but I don't believe that's actually been discussed in the series proper yet. Um, so I don't want to say what it is. Playing Reinosuke Aktagawa is Brian Beacock, and playing Atsushi Nakajima is Max Middleman. Brian Beacock, you will know his characters such as Takato Matsuki in Digimon Tamers, Renzo Shima in Blue Exorcist, and Toby in Children of the Whales. Max Middleman, you'll know his characters such as Shiro Kotamine in Fate Apocrypha, Ritsu Kageyama in Mob Psycho 100, and Kosei Arama in Your Lion April. Okay, uh, so Brian Beacock as Octagawa. Uh, as someone who forever associates Brian Beacock with Takata for Digimon, uh, hearing him as Octagawa really took me for a loop when that casting announcement first came out. I know I thought that putting him here with a very bold casting choice, but it's one that definitely worked. Uh, while his while his Octagawa isn't as growly as Kensho Ono's, I definitely like that there's this very constant sense of smugness to him that also works really well for the character. That sounds like he's just perpetually prickly about basically everything, and it's very delightful. Uh, I will say that for, like, how much screen time he actually has in this movie, he doesn't get, like, a lot of, like, really beat material, but the idea of him confidently taking down his own ability does feel very much in character for him. And I thought that Brian got, a, got across that confidence really, really well. And I made his whole fight with Rashomon really fun. So, uh, so I definitely got a pretty good kick out of that. As I end, I thought that all of his interactions with Atichi were pretty good. And, and how he was kind of like indirectly trying to motivate him in his own way. And that felt... As I, and that felt very much a character. And I thought that Brian got that across pretty well. And then uh, Maximum and Atichi. Uh, in general, Atsuchi is a very good boy who kind of needs to stop getting dunked on constantly, and Max does a very good job of making him sound like a very nice boy who's just constantly dealing with a lot of trauma, and, uh, and just so he gets back to put up with it, and, uh, and it's really like the way he handles that. Uh, I was kind of annoyed at first when I, thought, when I felt like they were going to bring up the whole orphanage thing again, since, uh, since that whole sequence in general always kind of felt a little too over the top even the first time I ever encountered the show. Is that like like even in, like even by show to anime standards, that whole sequence is always like pretty over the top. Uh, but it tied in pretty well with how Odyssey feels about his powers and whether or not he even wanted them back in the beginning of the movie, so I thought that was a I thought, I thought they made that callback work well enough. Uh, but in general the whole reveal that he uh, that he basically killed the villain of the movie in self defense once was uh Definitely a pretty shocking choice given how good the nature of Nazis generally is. 
And I'm uh, and again, given that this is basically a Shadow Jet movie, I am definitely very surprised that this is where you dropped the ball. That oh, hey, our protagonist killed someone once. With his own defense, but he didn't do it. Uh, but yes, I am, but I thought that uh, Max and Delivery definitely did a very good job of adding selling how dramatic that moment was for Akushi, and it was definitely, and it was definitely very heartwrenching, and I really just wanted to give that fork and a hug in that moment, so. Please, Max can we please just wanted. stop? Can we please just stop torturing this little bitch? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I thought Max and Delivery was really good there. And I definitely thought that the whole scene where he finally comes to church with his powers were pretty good. And I thought that Mass had a real good job of just kind of getting across how Mitsuki's feelings were in that moment. And and at the same time, how determined he was to keep trying to help others despite how Misty feels. And I thought that Max got both of that across really, really well. And in general, I think Mass's performance as Mitsuki is very good. As I, as I, as I, it is very much kind of at the heart and soul of the show, and I think that Max does a really good job here in the lead. And in general, both of these performances are really great. Definitely. I've always really liked... Brian Beacock was never the first choice I had for Octagawa. I don't think I had him on my, on my radar as anybody who was ever going to play Rinosuke Octagawa in my life. And I remember when the trailers first dropped for Boongo, everybody was like, oh god, here we go. Uh, he sounds awful. And then I watched this like, no, this is fucking great. Uh, he carries Octagawa with the level of smarm and asshole of a man who thinks he's hot shit, but he's not. Because <laughs> Octagawa's kind of a dork. Like, not in like the traditional sense. I, I mean, like, in the sense that Octagawa and Atashi are two men, are two children fighting for daddy's attention, and it's clear which one dad likes better. Uh. And it's not Octagawa. Um, Octagawa is a man-child. Pure and simple. He is a murderous little man-child. Because he never had an adult who believed in him in the best way possible. And that comes across in the way that he holds himself. He believes that he is better than Atashi because Atashi's a crying little baby who won't do what it needs to be done to win. If it means killing somebody, is gonna do it for approval. And that's why I think it's really funny that it is really a good point that you bring up that he's the first person to get his power back. Because he's like, fuck it. I'll do it live. Um... I also would like to point out that he is injected into the movie not by walking up to them, but because he gets yeeted into Tachi and Kyoka. Ah, um, oh, that was great. It's just like, oh god, what are you doing here? And he's just like, oh, well, it's you fuckers. Uh, and there's always this way this dude where he, he very much tries to bring out the worst in people by the way he talks. And just, I really like that about Brian's performance, is that he has this kind of way that he... It's very clear that he holds himself in high esteem, but it's probably because he's compensating. And then Atashi, Max's Atashi is just, yes, he screams and cries a lot, but it's because he doesn't know how to process trauma. 
And I think the, the only complaint I've ever had, I had in this movie about Max's performance is, I really do wish they would have gotten an actress to play younger Optishi. Uh, cause Max was kind of pushing uh, it a little to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is kind of like a weird... I know, like, I know that's kind of a thing when I think I remember hearing that Suzanne Golden specifically just, like, prefers... Sex kind of prefers male boys actors doing young boy voices for, like, whatever I just reason. think that it would have worked a little bit better, especially when he has to scream the way he does because he's being electrocuted. Oh, so, oh, so, oh yeah, I agree. Like, Atishia has a reason for crying. It's that he's been tortured his whole fucking life. Um, and Max gets that across very well. And I think the thing that really Max excels at with his Atishia is those moments of emotional revelation is that he is very much he gets what's at Atashi's heart. And at Atashi's heart is a good person who has been abused for most of his life, fighting to do good and being a stronger person because of it. Um, and in this movie, he gets to do that also while beating the living shit out of a man. And it's great! Um... Overall, Max is, like you said, he is the heart of this dub, and if that heart wasn't beating correctly, I don't think this this dub succeeds as well as it does. Uh, so with that, let's just kind of wrap everything up. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, in general, Booga Stray Dogs is a pretty fun franchise. Uh, so uh, it took me a little while to, like, really, really get into it, because when I, like, watched it with the simulcast, I thought the show was fine, but again, I wasn't like super big on Memorial Da Memorial Miano's Dazai. And I kinda thought the show had like a little bit of total problem. A little bit of a problem with its tone. Uh, but the dub definitely kind of like improved my opinion of the show considerably. It's a lot of fun. I like a lot of the actors here. They uh, they gave some really sweet performances and that makes sense even here it's a movie. It's a, and it's a and it's a really 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 strong dub. Definitely one of, if not the best Crunchyroll has put out with Studiopolis. So if you haven't seen Mugo dub yet, you definitely should. It's great. Yeah, I am always a proponent of more people watching the Mugo Stray Dogs franchise. It's a weird, funky little action show that I think a lot of people forget exists until a new season of it comes back and everyone's like, oh great, this show is fucking awesome. Um, it's a weird show. It's, it's at its heart, has a little bit of a rough first season, but once you kind of get to the meat of what I think the show's going for, it's a really fun ride. It's got a lot of fun powers and it's dub is honestly one of the best that are, that are out there. I think it's an instant classic of the late 2000s the late 2010s. Um, it's by far the best dub that Crunchyroll has paid for. Um, I just wish that they actually acknowledged that it existed. Um, but that is kind of the burden that this has being a Crunchyroll dub. Uh, Crunchyroll forgets I think Boongo even exists as a franchise half the time. Um, and unfortunately its dub kind of lingers out in the fact that until you bring the show up, people are like, oh yeah, that dub's really good, or oh yeah, that show's really great. Um, and for everybody asking, like, oh, it's been, like, seven years, it's not that popular still, like, 
Motherfuckers, have you ever seen how much goddamn merch gets made for this series? Like... I mean, it's... I mean, it's still getting a ton of spin-offs, and I guarantee when we have enough material, there will be a fourth season. Yeah. At this point, I think they're... I think the reason they haven't made a fourth season is because they're still in another really big arc. And it's a monthly manga. I... I'm only up to volume... I only own up to what's out in English, but I can't tell where it starts and where it ends because I'm missing two volumes because it's been out of print due to COVID. Um, uh. But like the both of us said, if if you're watching this episode, I'm pretty sure you like Boon Ghost Stray Dogs as it is. Just please tell your friends. Um, it's a lot of fun. This dub is great. This movie is a lot of fun. It is as dumb as... I say this in the nicest way. It is dumb as fuck. But you'll have a good time. Uh, and if you'd like to have a good time, you can watch the dub of this movie as well as the subtitle, if sub is your choice, on both Funimation and Crunchyroll. Uh, you can also pick up a DVD Blu-ray copy from Funimation and any of the retailers, Amazon, Right Stuff, um, eBay, uh your local store if they have it Tar Tar Target has this a lot for some reason online uh, and if you're interested in continuing the story of Boongo Stray Dogs because there has not been a fourth season uh, you can pick up the manga and the light novels as well as the spinoffs from Yen Press um that being said if you'd like to follow us we are the Dub Talk Podcast you can follow us on Twitter Twitch uh, Instagram uh, YouTube, where we obviously put this up. We also have the audio version on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. I think, are we on Spotify? Uh, yeah, we are. And, uh, I believe Streamly is the other one. Uh, if you'd like to support us as a one-time donation, we do have a Kofi link below, but if you'd like to support us on the regular, you can become one of our lovely Patreons. Our lovely Patreons are, at the $5 tier, uh, Michelle Travis, Miracula Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, Sue Tweedy, Victor Mayborda, and my parents. I get to say my parents because it's literally labeled as Megan's mom and dad. Um, <laughs> our $10 tier is Brandon Best, Carly Lestikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Julia W, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Uh, Jet, where can the good people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on the Twitters at DivineDagger, where I will usually be talking about anime or cartoons or politics or something like that. Uh, so, uh, you can also find me on my blog, I'm Ace Infinity, where I will sometimes write things if I feel like it. And uh, you can also hear me on another podcast, Podcast ONA, where I'll usually be talking about anime news with fellow Dub Talk host, Andrew. And then if you'd like to follow me, I can, uh, I can be found at QueenAir2 on Twitter. I mostly shitpost, but you can also hang out with me on a couple of discords if you know where to look. Uh, sometimes I show up on Podcast ONA, but that's usually to poke fun at Crunchyroll. Um... But uh, other than that, I believe we are done. So, Jet, you are free. I'm free, free, dang it. <laughs> until, until I drag you into Fujo hell again. Uh, that being said, uh, everybody have a great night. Have a fantastic rest of your summer. 
and otaku on, my friends.